Hi, and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project podcast episode for the 29th of September 2019. This is your host, Nigel Creaser. And this month, the Sunday Lunch Project manager meets Joe Puzz, PMO Joe. But first, a few words from our sponsor. This month's sponsors two books. First is following on from last month's announcement about the Kindle version of Boost Your Brand with Alexa and WordPress. I can announce that the paperback is also available and actually at this point is on countdown offer. Um, I think I can't remember the date it finishes, but it was five days from the 25th, so the 30th, there's the maths. So if you're quick, you can grab a discounted copy of the Kindle version. Um, or you can ping yourself out a version or get a version of the paperback. The Kindle version is also available on Unlimited. So if you have Unlimited, you can get it for free. And last week, I published the inaugural episode of The Saturday Brunch With. And it was Colin D. Ellis, who was my guest, uh, talking about his new book, Culture Fix, which explores a complicated world of corporate culture and, and how you can influence it. I've uh, partway through it, and it's a great read. So I highly recommend that. That is out in October. So um, go and grab a copy. If Obviously, if you're interested in sponsoring, uh, please get in touch with uh, Sunday Lunch PM Pod at nigelcreaser.com. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, then please get in touch at sundaylunchpmpod at nigelcreaser.com. In the news, uh, as mentioned, uh, the paperback for the Alexa book is out. And I learned a lot uh, over the last month uh, playing around with that. Uh, it's I'd underestimated, actually, the internal formatting when you change the shape of the book and getting it to fit because it's quite a, I, because I want it to be more of a manual rather than just a reading book. I made it um, quite large, uh, eight by eight, I think it is, or eight by ten. Uh, but that meant that I had to kind of fudge around with the uh, cover uh, to get the cover to fit because typically with the Kindle covers they're kind of fit for a six point six by nine book and that works fine in paperback. But I had to mess about a bit with that but lessons learned and i'm really pleased with the outcome from a writing point of view my next publication will be project management the interviews and that's taking all of the interviews i've done over the last 12 months um i've been transcribing them and now i need to go through the editing process uh and already i've spotted that there might be a few outtakes because the transcription services uh, maybe picked up on a few words that were quite, uh, they come out quite funny. So uh, I'm going to include a section in that, which should be good. I'm hoping to edit that through October, ready for release in December, just in time for Christmas. Uh, writing in November, I will uh, be taken up by trying to get, well, break the back of my first novel. Um, I'm using NaNoWriMo, which none of you will have heard of, I guess, which is a it's a uh, initiative set up which worldwide, but mainly focused in the States for National November Writing Month, where you try to write every day, set yourself some goals and targets, and hold yourself accountable to the community. So the idea is to try and get five fifty thousand words written. So wish me luck with that. Podcasting. It's going well. I've got, uh, as I said last one, I've got all the interviews done for this year. I've now got one for next year. Uh, next month is Mike Clayton, the online PMO, PM course guy. And November sees uh, Ron Rosenhead. And in December, we've got Praveen Malik. And to kick off the new year, we've got Siddhar Oak. All of them very interesting podcasts indeed. And very interesting interviews. On personal stuff. Uh, you may have seen on, if you follow me on many of my Twitter feeds that I have uh, in one of my hobbies is judo. And uh, as I record this Wednesday, tomorrow I will weigh in for my first Veterans Commonwealth Judo Championships in Walsall in the UK, representing England. I'm very excited and nervous and just trying to make sure I get to the right weight because I need to be under 90 kilos and I'm teetering on the edge, so I should be okay. And um, by the time the this 
next podcast is out, I will have also competed in the British Masters Judo in London. So busy month with uh, outside of project management and writing. As part of that, I've uh, managed to secure some support from a local nutrition brand called Torque. I'm pleased to promote them on here. Um, so if there are any of you out there who are sport-minded and want good quality nutrition, check out Torque. That's T-O-R-Q fitness.co.uk. Well, that's enough for me. Let's have a listen to Joe Puzz and on with the interview. Speak to you later. I'd like to welcome uh, my guest for today, Joe Puzz who has been a project management advocate for over 20 years, working with organizations like Textra, Sesta, Bell Helicopter, Wellstar Health Systems. And as a leader in the project management space, uh, his clients have nicknamed him PMO Joe. He frequently speaks at industry events, leading the charge to help organizations understand the value of effective project management. And Joe is the president of the PMO Squad, a project management consultancy, that is 100% project management, 100% of the time. The PMO Squad helps clients implement PMOs and project management best practices, as well as providing training, PM software selection, support, project resources, fractional project management solutions for smaller organizations who don't need full-time solutions. He's also a leader of the Veterans Project Management Mentoring Program, and the host of the Project Management Office Hours radio show, broadcast on the first and third Thursday of every month on the Phoenix Business Radio X. And it's the number one live project management radio show in the US and is available as a podcast as well. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nigel. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a great conversation, I'm sure. So... You know I, my structure of this. I've got a, a, a list of questions, and I hopefully listeners are starting to get used to this uh, this um, format. So my first question is: Where did where was uh, the project Joe first initiated? Where were you born? Born in Connecticut, here in the U.S., Hartford. But then, uh, within a year or so, moved into uh, the Albany, New York area, and, and spent most of my youth. Growing up in there, Rotterdam, New York. Ah, shows up my, uh, I know where New York is. I, I have no reference of where Connecticut is. <laughs> my terrible just, geography uh, of the U.S. <laughs> just outside New York City. Most okay. folks know where, uh, where that is, of course. Right, yeah. Uh, so not too far from there. Brilliant. So, um, and where do you live now? Now I'm out in Phoenix, Arizona. We've... Uh, as a family, traveled quite a bit across the states with uh, 20 or so years in Atlanta, a few years in the Dallas, Texas area, as well as some time in Wichita, Kansas. And now we've been out here in Phoenix for a couple of years, enjoying the nice hot summers that we get out here in the summertime. Brilliant. And so you say you're out with your family. What's, what's the family? Well, we've got uh, my wife and I, as well as four kids and uh, two dogs who you may have heard at the beginning of their intro saying hello uh, so charlie and jackson are the dogs and then we've got uh, three boys and one girl josh zach gabe and sydney and uh, collectively uh, we've all been along on this journey traveling across the u.s and advocating for project management excellent you've got the kids involved with uh, advocating project management as well well i've had them on, on my uh the show they've attended some of the shows that I put on. Uh, they're still in school, so they're not yeah. young enough to uh, be out there in the business world. But teaching them the basics, right, of organization and planning, um, and ensuring that when they do get out there into the real world, they'll be prepared to deliver and help organizations be successful. That's a really good point because I think it, it, a lot of the time we look at projects as being these. Um, the skills of project management that are being needed for being a project manager. But a lot of the things we learn and how to deal with, they're life skills, aren't they? Yeah. We, if you think, at least in my schooling, even college back when I went, we, we didn't get any education on how to deliver, how to influence people, how to motivate people. Uh, those skills all came to me in my professional career, and I wish I had had them 
during my youth, I, I did get some of that because I participated in athletics growing up. So coaches would always help us um, with the people skills, right? Trying to motivate teams to excel and come together and, and much as we do with projects. Yeah. But the formal education, that was always missing. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's something I see over in the UK as well. It's, it's uh, th- that, I suppose it's organization skills if you boil it down just to self-time management and it's kind of not taught on the kit for the kids it's kind of just they throw the hold their feet to the fire by organizing revision for exams and they have to be organized or not organized and if they are that means they've learned how to do it and if they're not they haven't and and invariably a lot of uh, a lot of us grow up going i think on that last point and just you cram at the end don't you um, is the, the time management technique that we all start to learn by default because you've got that hard stop. And that's not the best way to do it, obviously. And it goes alongside with the, with your finances as well because I think, I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, the uh, there's a lot of majoring on maths and stuff, but not a lot about uh, money and finances and understanding when you've got one of these um not favorable loan interest rates that you get and uh, all, all the fine print that you can't really decipher. Yeah. And, and if, you know, same thing here. My kids, when they graduate high school, I have no idea if they'll be prepared to write a check for something, right? I mean, schools yeah. don't prepare them for that, nor, uh, you know, we all do projects at mm. whether it's professionally or at home, right? If we're going to renovate our bathroom or, do yard uh, upgrades with our landscaping, right? That's a project. And yeah. if we can teach that at home with the home-based projects, I think our kids will be more prepared when they go into formal education and beyond into a profession of how those projects are structured and how to deliver and how to work. So I was certainly wouldn't say that I'm PMO Joe when I'm at home. Sure, I'm dad when I'm at home, but we're, we're, we're still using the same skills and techniques when I'm running. Yeah, as yeah. if I were running a professional project. Yeah, I, don't, I know what you mean. I did a similar sort of thing with, um, we were doing quite a bit of garden work and we have three small windows and um, those three small windows and load of post-its became a Trello board of to do, doing and done. And uh, it, it um, got me some wry looks from the kids. It was more, it was more for me to be able to structure my, my thinking than anything else. Just, no, got it there. I, yeah, yeah, and I could sit there and I could see the scale of what we had to do, and everyone else could as well, which I think is the great thing of using those boards, that visual management stuff. Absolutely. So, um, you said you're you're in Phoenix. You were um, born in Connecticut, but but grew up. Um, you said near near New York, which was um, so. When you were growing up there, um, did you have it written down there on the wall? I want to be PMO Joe. Or were, no. you, were you interested in something else? Yeah, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't know about project management. You know, I came from a family where my parents weren't really college educated, and my brother and I he was three years old, older than me. But we went into our college career at the same time. Uh, so we were the first that really got any sort of professional education and prep through college. Um, so I didn't, yeah, there was no, no notion at all that I'd be headed in the project management route. And, um, you know, I didn't end up being a professional baseball player, so I had to do something and, and found out over time what project management is and realized, wow, that's, that's what I was born to do. And oftentimes I'll, call myself a natural born project manager because I don't have to be a project manager. I've found out that I just am a project manager. Yeah. So you say you wanted to be a pro baseball player. What, what position did you want to play? And, and you're talking to a Brit here. I'm not going to understand it probably. Much <laughs> it. <laughs> the Yankees and Red Sox are uh, about headed. They're headed over. They're going to have a series there this weekend. So you can catch up oh, wow. and see some of this. Uh, but I was a, a catcher uh, or a pitcher, and those were the two positions, really, that controlled every pitch or every play within the game. And, again, I think it helped build the foundation for me of the organization and how the team moves and participates together, uh, how to influence the team to be able to perform collectively to beat your opponent or deliver the outcome that you're seeking. 
So by default, I think those positions really helped me prepare when it came time for project manager, because I was already used to being the person that was in charge of the team and helping direct the team to um, win the game. So I'm guessing with the, the pitcher was is the um, it's kind of like the quarterback or the or the, the captain in the football team. That's the, the kind of decides what the play is going to be kind of thing with the with the person that you're pitching against. That's right. The, yeah, he, he great analogy there. The pitcher is the quarterback of the baseball team, and then the catcher has the full view of the whole field. So once the ball is in play, the catcher then directs the team members as to how to execute on the steps within that play. So depending on which position I was playing on that given day, I was either delivering the pitch and controlling how the game would go, or then receiving the pitch as catcher and directing our fielders how to execute. So it was always in the middle of the action. Excellent. I can see how that would work. And did you get with with your um with with that sort of with your athletics training? Do you have quite a bit of structured, <clears throat> structured um, training plans as well, and kind of knowing what you were going to do when? Yeah, absolutely. And and we have that's another great transition into professional career because we had during athletic time a playbook, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the playbook would detail out what each position player would have to do based on the circumstance of the game. And we would practice that repeatedly over and over again so that game time situations, we were prepared. You didn't have to think, you just reacted. Well, we've taken that concept for it into the PMO squad. And as we work with our customers, we build a playbook for them as to how a PMO would react and respond so that the team members of the PMO don't have to think, right? They can just react because they've been practicing and training how to handle each of those situations. So to me, there's a very close bond between my time in athletics and my youth and the training and coaching that I received through that. Now as a business owner with a team of my own, how we go about uh, deploying that for our clients. That's really interesting because I, I, yeah, I can see how that would all join together and get you like kind of systemizing everything, isn't it? By having that playbook, you have a system for dealing with this scenario. You have a system for dealing with this scenario. So when you were um, uh, at college and you were doing your uh, aiming at being pro baseball, what, what were you studying there? Uh, the original intent was I was going for accounting work. Um, mm-hmm. And then after about a year, realized that I needed more action than that. I needed a little more human interaction uh, and switched over to uh, business economics so that I could understand how the the world revolves in the business world. And uh, ultimately ended up getting a um, master's degree and advanced degree in organizational communication. As I I kind of really have dove deep into the communication side of how organizations and individuals within those organizations communicate and interact with each other um, and how their patterns that are formed from organization to industry and across industries, that sort of stuff really fascinates me. So um, it's just been continuing education because the more clients you have, the more you learn from them as well. Yeah, organize. I, I remember I did a, um, a, what it was a, a sort of lower level uh, sort of, as we have in the UK, A-level kind of um, uh, levels with business studies. And there was a, a, a section on um, organization and, and um, communication side of it. And I find that, that whole area quite fascinating on uh, how it's kind of like, and, and it continued with that, is thinking about the, the listening to the stuff about tribes and how um, organizations, even if you've got an, one organization, their identity changes and with projects as well you your project creates becomes an identity has a tries to become self-organizing even when you don't want it to because you get a little bit of a click together don't you and you become you're, you're holding each other's back and uh, those things happen without without intent quite often in organizations well yeah if you just it, there's some fun experiments right if you're just in a room at a social gathering at your house And look at the dynamics of, you know, maybe 20 adults that are together for a party and watch the patterns of communication form and who 
stand out without any direction that what your role is, people is take on the role within there. So there's the host or the hostess, but then those roles are kind of defined. But other people are moving away from the communication. Others are moving towards the communication. Some are, are wishing the attention were placed upon them even more. So organizations do the same thing and the people within those organizations do because we as humans form into these groups either subconsciously or consciously in some instances, and how the dynamics of that communication happens to me fascinates me of how those individuals can form up into cliques, as you mentioned, or teams or departments and work together or not to deliver products and services as part of a broader organization. So all of that's just for me as I've gotten more familiar with clients across industries has been fascinating to see how that has consistencies across industries and size of companies, but also differences between them as well. Yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating area. I think with 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 you getting your your um, your masters, what what did you do when you left college? Well, at that time, uh, the Olympics were actually coming back to the states, um, and they were going to be in Atlanta. So that was what prompted my move from New York to Atlanta was to go and observe, to, to be part of those Olympics, move there and see that that uh, world athletic event. Because, again, athletics were so important in my life at the time. Yeah. Just to go there and be a part of it, to live in the city where it was happening and fell in love with Atlanta. Uh, so, you know, at that point, it was really just being a young guy trying to figure his way post-college and... Um, really didn't have a career focus at that point. was more just concerned with like a lot of young guys in the States, just enjoying my time. Uh, But you grow out of that eventually. And that's when I was uh, working for a software organization as a systems consultant. And I found project management in that role. Um, I would be on site at clients working with them on a daily basis. And one day my boss asked how the project was going. I, I said, what project? I have no idea what you're talking. I don't even know what a project is. And he had explained <laughs> to me that the, the system, the implementation of software into the parts department of a car dealership for them, that was a project to implement this new software. And I just latched onto that and went and did my research, found out what a project was. And that was the birth of PMO Joe and my time as a project manager. That's, that's that'd be 12 over 25, probably about 25 years ago or so. So you, you heard of it and you thought you'd like the sound of it and you decided to go for it. Yeah, because to me, it's, it was, you know, it seemed like that pitcher role, the quarterback, right? It was the person that was driving the team to achieve the result. And, and I've always just gravitated to that role. And so for me, it was, it was a familiar spot to be in. Granted, I didn't know the techniques and skills yet that the profession has, but the innate components, I was, again, the natural born project manager, those pieces were just part of me. So having that opportunity to do that as a career, you know, that's when, again, that to me, that became, hey, I'm not going to be a major league baseball player, but now I know what I'll be for the rest of my life. And that's how you thought of it for the rest of your life as well. Because I realized that's who I always was anyway. Right. I think from the moment I was born until the day I die, I'll be and am and will be a project manager because that's just who I am. I don't have to be a a project manager. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to try to do it. I don't have to uh, want to go learn about it. And I just am always seeking out how to be a better project manager because it just it's in my dna it's just who i am that's fantastic that's absolutely so so with your you're saying you're in the software industry and car dealerships what what kind of industries have you worked in then and i i, I know from your um the little bio i got there i've got a little bit of an insight into that but it's kind of what what, what have you what have you played with Yeah, pretty diverse background, I think. I've been uh, in the software industry. I've also been in aerospace and defense. I've been in the financial sector, been in the aviation industry. 
uh, Textron, you had mentioned one company I'd worked for as a multi-industry conglomerate. So I was fortunate enough to work through several of their business units in multiple industries, um, as well as healthcare. So a pretty good, a broad spectrum um, of background. And then after starting the PMO squad, of course, we have clients across many industries as well. So it's uh, diverse. It's uh, been fun and it's also been educational because each industry thinks they're unique. And what, <laughs> I, what I've come to find is that, man, they execute projects the same way. They just have never had exposure to the other industries to know how similar they actually are. Yeah. They may be producing different goods and services, but their behaviors, their mechanics, the organizational structure, the delivery of those goods and services, there are so many commonalities across industries. Yeah, I think um, it, it is that feeling of, of, of there will be nuances, obviously, but then, as you say, that those fundamentals are the fundamentals, aren't they? Who's doing what by when? And what risks are there? That those those fundamental items and tools that you need to do deliver those are always going to be the same. Yeah. And, and that's what makes, again, the projects um, so fun to be a part of because they're by, by definition, they're all unique uh, by decisions within the organization. They're all important, right? Somebody has to consciously decide that we're going to do the project yeah. and to be a leader, the person that's responsible for that, to me, that's that's super exciting. And every day, you know, you're going to have something different. You're not you're not just making widgets, right? You're producing something that's never been done before because each project is unique. So you know the service and good you're going to produce is unique. It's not operations, right? It's something new. And that I love that daily challenge and daily grind to be in the middle of something that's so important to each of these organizations. Yeah, I get that. I get that. So. With that software, um, talking to your boss and you went out and researched um, projects, what was your first, what do you remember as being your first project that you were project manager of? Well, that's, um, I think my first official title uh, as project manager was a software uh, organization for a software organization that at the time was automating the registration process for products you had purchased. So the, the company, for instance, if you buy a new computer mm -hmm. way back in the day, you used to fill out a card and mail it in and your product would be registered so that if you needed a warranty repair, you could get that done. Well, just as all things became automated, there was the company I was working for was automating that registration process. So you would go online, fill out the, the questions that you normally would have done on the card, hit submit, and they now have a record of who bought the product. So it was uh, the projects I was running for that time were different um, electronics products that we were writing the electronic registration for them. And you think back and that's, I don't even know if companies still do that. I have no idea how that happens anymore. No, I'm not sure. I think, I think you do have some registration but there's a lot of things that tend to be throwaway quite often these days don't they yeah and, and the beauty of that is you think as i look back on it the reason that company existed was of course to write the software for that but the data was was at the beginning of when data was being consumed and then sold so everybody who bought those products there were other companies out there who wanted to know who is the person, right? What's the stereotype of that person, that persona of that individual who's buying that product? So we had this wealth of data that was available and other companies were coming to us to buy that data. And that was, to me, the most uh, interesting part of working there. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's, uh, yeah, it becomes uh, data is king these days, isn't it? That's right. It's the new, it's the new oil, as they yeah. say. Yeah. So... Obviously, you've, yeah, that was the first one that you um, you uh, remember yourself being that uh, with the badge, the official PM. What, what was the largest project that you've run to date? And and when I say largest, that's um, that could be 
monetary value that could be number of people that could be the um, influence it had on the the organization that you were working for or the importance of it to society or whatever what uh, you, it's kind of what's the the one that you think had the most meaning from your perspective and what what were the main things you learned from it well i think i'll maybe answer it indirectly and say instead of the largest project i'll i'll talk about the largest pmo that i had to run Mm-hmm. And um, in the healthcare sector, we were um, healthcare system while I was in Atlanta, and our budget for the PMO was $500 million. Jeez. And it was over a five year roadmap that we were executing against that to implement everything that you can think of within the, end of the healthcare organization from electronic medical records to email systems. Um, moving the data center, you name it, everything was in there. So we had a team of, I don't know, probably about 20 direct employed resources plus uh, consulting resources that were assisting on some of those projects, probably getting up over 100 plus uh, total resources. And that was um, a unique situation for me because I had never been in healthcare before. So having the recognition that every project that we worked on was for the betterment and welfare of a patient who was seeking some assistance from a healthcare provider. So we had a direct impact on the care of all the patients that we were serving. And of course, with a a budget that large, it was a, a, a great importance to the organization that we managed it well and we're good stewards of the responsibility to have a budget of 500 million and to ensure that it was going to be spent wisely and we were going to be efficient with the uh, activities that we were doing for them. Yeah, that sounds like uh, that quite comfortably fits into my definition of large. <laughs> what do you, it, what was, do you... uh, it was, it was, uh, uh, I guess it was a lot of pressure, you know, I, um, but we reported directly into the, executive of the organization as well as the board uh, and we provided regular status of progress and where we were so it was a great responsibility but a great experience to be able to take with me um, and use as as part of the launch of what ultimately became the pmo squad and an organization that i started because i did have that kind of experience gave me the confidence to be able to go help others who had need just like they did when I was working there. Yeah. So, so it's probably a really hard question, but what would you say was the the biggest learning point that you would pick out of that, um, out of that PMO engagement? The, the the one that is top of mind was um, we were a part of the portfolio included extending the wireless infrastructure in the in a hospital system so that the mobile computers would be able to have better connectivity and as one of the projects we had to do was implementing uh, a wireless connector into an operating room and the procedure uh, our project didn't the contracting team that we used to implement that didn't clean up the operating room afterwards. And there was an open heart surgery scheduled coming in after that uh, process happened at the, in the operating room and they had to cancel the procedure. So our project was directly responsible for the canceling of an open heart procedure for an individual who needed that surgery to maintain their health, of course, and perhaps stay alive. And that was a moment that I truly, I think I always knew, of course, how important our projects were and the impact it had. But at that moment in time, realized that my team, my project managers, my, my outside vendors that we were using, all of us in a healthcare setting are putting our hands on a patient and influence their treatment and their care even if we don't think we are, that was to me one of my most important and influential learnings throughout my entire career. Yeah, I suppose it's that 
um, thing where we'd look at what are, who are our stakeholders. And there's that realization of how serious an impact you can have on a stakeholder that's quite a long way away from you as an individual in the, the chain of um, interactions. And just remembering remembering that sometimes is quite difficult to do, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's, you know, now we have one of the services we offer with the PMO squad is called the Purpose Driven PMO. And and that is in large part a direct reflection of that experience I had to understand that the purpose that we're doing projects and project management and organizations goes beyond just completing checklists and passing gate reviews. Right. There, there is something more at the end of that project and that engagement or within that PMO that we're really responsible for. And that's what we have to be focused on. That's your biggest. Um, my, my next question is kind of, um, and it might be related to the previous uh, conversation, is what would you say is the biggest screw up that you've made? And what did you learn from that? Hmm. You know, I think the the biggest screw up I had along the time was um, when I was working with Bell Helicopter and the first, this is my first time ever as a manager of a PMO. Mm-hmm. And I had not received any training in how to run a PMO. I'd always run projects. So I executed the PMO as if it were a project, right? I I started it, um, I assessed it, I led the team as if it was a project and didn't treat it as a department, didn't treat it as a team or an organization that was working on multiple projects, right? To me, it was just a project. And uh, I, 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 I think I failed right? In the grand scheme of things of what I was supposed to achieve. But I had a great mentor at the time who helped me understand what I was doing and how it was being perceived by the organization. And with that training and knowledge and experience and wisdom that he shared with me, I was able to take away from that, again, the value that a PMO can provide to an organization when done right but also the harm that it can do to an organization when done poorly. So again, I'll kind of sidestep the answer directly related to a project, but answer it more along the PMO guidelines. Yeah, that's, that's, and I can understand that, yeah, because it is is a different set of tools, isn't it, that you need to to use for those two things, as you say. It's it's, your PMO, from, from my point of view, is has longevity and your projects don't. And, and you, you're there to build the systems to be able to help those projects go on because projects come and go. And if you put set the PMO up right properly, it, it's going to stay there to be able to service those projects as the you know, industry, as the business needs them. Isn't they? Yeah, and that's the if you think about our profession and the different types of organizations that exist to train us. You know, PMI perhaps is maybe the most popular in the world it's really focused on the individual, right? And individual certifications, as opposed to the organization, the function within the company, right? And what are we doing and how are we training those leaders to prepare them to lead an organization? You know, the the majority of the research out there shows that PMOs typically end or have a life cycle of about three years, which is, almost ludicrous if you think about it especially in this day and age yeah we compare that to a accounting department or a sales department or the manufacturing department or the hr department how do we allow that to happen with the delivery side of the organization yeah and that's where i think the again the focus has to be within our industry of course we have to execute projects well but a project is just part of a portfolio yeah, I absolutely agree. And you've got to build in those systems. You've got to build in the repeatable processes that, that can guide those project managers because the project managers are going to come and go as well, aren't they? That's right, uh, yeah. And, and as are the PMO t- team, so you've got to have that industrialized tooling that people can just pick up and go, oh, that's how we do it here. 
and move it forward. Well, flip off, off the back of that then, um, turn it around a little bit. What is your proudest um, project PMO delivery in the in the project realm? What would you say of all of your deliveries? Say that one. I felt real pride getting that yeah. over the over the over the um, the line. Yeah, I think the um, there's a automotive parts retailer here in the states that was dealing with a lot of brick and mortar companies. The challenge of the e-commerce society we live in today, and they had asked the PMO squad to come in and help them implement that new e-commerce platform uh, to get them uh, away from the fate of a blockbuster who went, you know, died because yeah. their mortar couldn't go on. So we were point and center. They had hired Accenture to be their system integrator and they needed some assistance on the project side and brought in the PMO squad for us to partner with Accenture and ensure that they delivered the way our customer needed. So for me, taking a very well-established American brand, um, a global brand really, and getting them into the next generation of commerce and transactions uh, will always be high on our list of most proudest achievements. So thinking not necessarily um, the deliveries, um, what would you say is your a moment in a in your either running the PMOs or a project is is your that's given you personal pride of of something you've done that isn't isn't related to the actual end game. Well, this one I'm going to I'll turn a different direction on this one and say we've along with a partner of mine we've started a nonprofit organization to help veterans and military service members transition into civilian careers with project management. So getting the feedback directly from those participants in our mentoring program that now have gone on to get careers in civilian project management and how that mentoring they received helped them get that way, you know, to make that progress. Um, every day, it makes me continue and becomes more and more important than my consulting practice because I'm touching individuals and helping them achieve the goals that they're trying to. So I, yeah, I had an email today from somebody in the program or somebody that wants to participate in the program. And it just, it's very personal, it's very moving, and that keeps me going. It's, it is so powerful to get those sorts of communications from people that we're helping on a daily basis. I was going to, I'm really glad you talked about that because I was going to talk to you more about that because um, how, how did, as, as you say, a, a colleague of yours, you started that, what, what, what was the genesis of the idea and why, where, did they, where did that come from? Yeah, he runs a organization called Vets to PM, Eric Reed is his name, and they tr provide training and career services to military members and veterans and I provide right project management consulting services and, and we were partnering together on how we might be able to do business together and we, we said listen Eric came to me and Joe your your people have experience that our veterans don't have and you're looking to be able to mentor folks why not mentor veterans and active duty service members and their spouses that are trying to get into this career. And we said, absolutely. I mean, that was like a Thursday afternoon. We had that discussion and by Monday morning, the website was stood up. Uh, it was once we clicked on it, it was such an easy thing to understand the value that we could provide. So that was, uh, I think that was January of 2018. We started that we've had over 400 people register into the program in that time. And really, we were a proof of concept, right? We didn't even know how this was going to go. Um, so we ran it, his company and my company, to for-profit. We were both for-profit companies. We ran this collectively, covered all the expenses, provided the people to be able to do the work. And we realized that this is bigger than what we had thought it was going to be. So we've now uh, taken it to the next level and created a nonprofit organization. We're in place right now putting the board of directors 
uh, in the middle of it. And Eric and I will be co-founders to ensure that it carries forward the mission that we're looking to achieve, but maybe not be in the day-to-day -day and turn that over to the board of directors and the volunteers that we're going to have that are going to help scale it to be a platform really that can help all of those service members, veterans and spouses get the type of mentoring and assistance they need through professional support, networking and mentoring to help them get lucrative careers in the project management field. That's excellent. Because I, I, when I, I was looking at, at the, the your website on that and it, it kind of struck me that a lot of those individuals will, and, and part of our, our role as a project manager is, is sometimes working under pressure and those individuals are under way more pressure than, than uh, a lot of us have, have been in those scenarios. And but also the the organisation, the um, the ability to work as a team and with the team and directing teams. A little like we were talking earlier is those skills are transferable once you understand the framework that they can be transferred into. And um, like kind of, it's again, it's one of those things where when I saw it, you, as you say, you say it clicked, it kind of, you read that and you go, well, yeah, that's obvious that that's a thing to do. <laughs> but then yeah. some, it's, the obvious things aren't the things that people notice usually, are they? Well, and also they're, they are structured in command and mission, right? I mean, they go execute temporary endeavors to achieve mm -hmm. a certain goal, just like we do with projects. They just call yeah. it a mission. Yeah. And, so and, and they, they get, get all that training. It's, yeah. it's they come out fully prepared, probably more than we are from yeah. from universities and colleges, right? They've had real experience. Yeah, and again, used to being the situation. Here's the mission. Here's the plan. This is how we're going to execute it. The minute you step into it, it changes in a in a in a battle situation or whatever, and you have to adapt. And Again, you get similar sort of things with projects, don't you? Your project, your project plan is dead the minute you put it on the piece of paper, isn't it? It's kind of it's out of date, and right. you have to be able to work and adapt and be ready for things to change. And that's that flexibility and ability to adapt is inherent in that in those roles and in their experience. And what they they may have in that experience, they're missing from the civilian side of, you know, what is a WBS. Mm. What is a project schedule, yeah. right? The, the civilian terminology and interactions are missing. And that's where the mentoring of a experienced project manager comes in to help them guide them through that transition and accelerate their career growth. And again, the, the impact was immediate and the feedback has been so positive. It, it's just a great opportunity for both the mentor side who's giving back of their time it's all volunteer no one's paid for any of this and then also the protege the the service member the veteran or the spouse that's participating um, gets immediate reward and feedback on what they're doing to help them advance their career it, it's easy once you once you're in the middle of it and you have some of these exchange and get the feedback you wonder why we're not doing more of this and why it's not happening in greater scale yeah, it, it with with you again. It makes me wonder whether there's and, and I assume your your program is US centric. Obviously, um, it makes me think: is there anything in the UK that that does the, a similar sort of thing? And I, I'm not aware of anything that does. We're we're certainly US centric, as you mentioned, but we've had mentors and uh, veterans from five different countries participating. Oh, right. Um, we had a active duty deployed U.S. service member who was in the Middle East couldn't even tell us where he was deployed because of the security risks. Mm -hmm. yeah. But on his downtime, he was calling in to his mentor in the States to prepare for his transition out when his role came due. So that sort of thing, when you, when you start thinking about the impact and you hear those stories, mm -hmm. you can see the power of what the program offers so we're certainly U.S. centric, but I think as we continue to grow and scale, um, you know, the boundaries of the globe are our limit as opposed to the boundaries of the states. Yeah, yeah get that. So looking at, um, obviously, you do the, the, uh, your podcast. And, and what, what got you started doing that? What made you decide to do the podcast? Obviously, you would have the PMO squad, successful business, successful career. 
what, what, why did the the, the um, project management office hours radio show come out? And why did you do it live? That's what we were talking before. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of a fluke, really, to be honest. I had no intentions to do the show. Uh, but when I moved from Atlanta to Phoenix a couple of years back, I was in a new city and needed to, as all companies do, right, improve your marketing and get the word out that you're here, right, to serve a new client base. Uh, and I had run into a the state owner of the station, Business Radio X, here in Phoenix, at a networking event, and she asked if I wanted to come on the show as a guest. So I said, of course, this would be a great opportunity to go on the radio for free and let the, the Phoenix community know about my company. And when the show ended, she said, well, that was fantastic. You should think about hosting a show. And I said, well, I can't do that. I'm a project manager. I'm not a radio host. <laughs> Uh, so between her and my wife, they both kept nagging me to nagging is probably the wrong word, but they kept pushing me, uh, to try it and to see how it would go. So, uh, eventually did a couple of episodes just to see how it would be and, and turned out that I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was kind of a good break from the day to day, uh, rhythms of running the company. And the guests were educating me. I was getting so much more from the guests than I was back to the community. And uh, then I started getting people in the industry of influence and people started reaching out to me to ask if they could be a guest on my show. So I knew we were gaining traction. Um, and we did it live because we wanted to be something that was a little bit unique, right? There's a lot of project management podcasts out there, yeah, yeah. but I haven't found one where they're doing them live. I mean, today we had a show uh, where a remote guest dropped their connection twice and we had to work our way through it, right? It's, it's real life. It's not something that we manufacture and that's what project management is. And I said, if I can run a project uh, as part of a $500 million portfolio, I certainly can do a live radio show. Although, uh, you say that, but I, I don't know what your thoughts are. But as, as, as you know, I, I, I messed up a couple of times on getting that scheduled on this call. Um, it, it's quite stressful just trying to get uh, get it all coordinated at times, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, it's, and, it makes it real, though, right? It, it's, yeah, yeah. it's fun. And, um, you know, I think we've had tremendous success. We've... Uh, the, the metrics we receive, we're getting over 200,000 plays and downloads on episodes now. I mean, it's, it's exceeded my wildest imagination, right? It's, uh, I get constant contact from listeners who uh, thank me for the format, who thank me for bringing on a guest or ask me to have a certain type of discussion. So it's actually given me newfound energy into an industry that and the shows are nothing about me, right? It's a platform to have others come on and share their story. So by me being a part of that, it's really helped uh, give me access to, you know, different adventures and different people and different knowledge that I previously wouldn't have had. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> my very uh, limited time in podcasting at the moment, I've, um, I think it's, I think it's eight, nine interviews I've done, and every single one of them, including this one, has been fascinating. And as you say, you learn something, and it's and um, there's every every person you talk to has a slightly different take and a slightly different um, story about what their background is and how they approach things. And, and the uh, other the other part I love about the show is we're although we're based in the U.S., we have guests that are from all over the world. We've had Australia, Canada, Honduras, uh, Germany, the UK, right? We, it's, it's a broad spectrum because project management, again, doesn't know the boundaries of countries. No. The people in India and Pakistan and Australia and the US and Canada all share the same understanding of what WBS is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it appears to be that um, it, there's always, as I think you talked about it before, there's themes. There's always themes um, that go through the projects, and it doesn't, as you say, like the industries. It doesn't matter what industry is, doesn't matter what country is. There is always the themes that are there, and That's just right. slight tweaks. 
So for now, I've, I've almost taken this on. If I take the radio show and the mentoring, of which both of them are, are completely not about me, right? It's about our industry and giving back and providing a platform. That's more of my focus today than the PMO squad. Of course, the PMO squad's my company and, and we run that to be successful. But my personal stake, my personal interest, right, of how does the twilight of my career end up is tied up into those parts of the, the triangular business world that I have created for myself. So it's, it's more exciting, it's more energizing, it's more rewarding, there's a more personal touch to it. Um, and then at the same time, you have to put food on the table for your family, and that's the PMO squad, right, where we can go deliver. And taking all the lessons learned from the other two and bring them into the PMO squad to ensure that we're continually improving to make sure our clients are getting the best of us and not just what we you know, have always been. It's what we're growing to be as we grow with them. Yeah, I, I, I guess with the n number of um, interviews you've done, different guests, you've, I'm, I'm guessing you've had stuff that you've been talking to your guests and they've talked about something, whatever it is, whether it's a, a new media thing, new, new tools and techniques that you've sat there and gone, we should be doing that in the uh, PMO squad and it'll be something completely new. I'm guessing that the, maybe it doesn't happen all the time, but there'll be the odd thing of thinking that's a different way of thinking about it. Well, absolutely. I mean, it just the, I, I would say probably every show we learn something new and maybe every two to three shows, we take something away that we want to implement into the PMO squad. Yeah. Which, which as you say, it, it, just if, if you just did it from a uh, thinking of it from a mercenary point of view, the uh, the benefits of having those shows and being able to play those in and do things better within your own business, they just they, they, they pay back threefold, isn't it? I would have thought. And you know what else we found is there are a lot of people in our industry who have a voice but don't have a platform. Yeah. And if they could just have somebody give them the exposure to share their idea. Mm -hmm. The way we deliver on projects, maybe it matures, right? We, we've all seen the data that PMI provides in their pulse of the profession that we're kind of stagnant for a decade now of about 50% project success rates. Yeah. Well, what are we doing new? What are we doing different? And what I love about the show is I bring on guests who have ideas that make us think of maybe there is a better way or a different way or a new way to do something that has been around for a while. And, yeah. and that type of platform to give them that access to me is so powerful. And I'm just so fortunate to be able to be the person that's pushing the buttons. But the reality is the people who are the guests are the ones who are powerful with that thinking. Yeah, I think from the, the things I see in the industry, you've got um, a lot of, and maybe it's the people I'm following or whatever, but it, it does seem to be a lot of our emphasis now is we, we've, We've got some incredible tools, um, which means that we can we can saw up a piece of wood and we can saw up a piece of wood every time exactly how we want to saw it up. And then you've got that layer that's coming on top of the um, the emotional intelligence type stuff and uh, the the things that every, every sort of article I read or book I read and a lot of them always focusing on that. Yeah, you, you, you can do the, the fundamental usage of the tools, but it's the art bit of using those tools that we're turning it into a, a Venus de Milo or whatever sculpture. Um, that's the next phase of it, if you like. And as you say, we're 50% because the tools are good, but then there's that bit on top that is the more of a project management art rather than just a um, discipline, if you like. And as you say, PMI. APM print all of these these um, uh, certification bodies have invested lots of time in working out what's the best way to manage a risk what's the best way to structure your project and they're repeatable but that's that nuances about and the, that terrible fleshy thing called the human that's involved in these things that always make projects just that little bit harder and organizations as you said about before about organizational comms and how those organizations differ 
mean that you need to use different tools and different techniques and, and maybe a, a different project manager because a different project manager has a different behavior style, for example. Totally agree. And understanding the people. Again, each project's unique. Each person is unique. Each team is unique. Yeah. So when we try to use standard tools in a unique setting, sometimes there's benefit, but other times we have gaps. And it's understanding how to fill those gaps um, and understanding the social intelligence and the human interaction component. I think that separates the good project manager from the great project manager. Yeah. And, and doing the show gives that gives us in our industry exposure to people who are out there trying to help us move from good to great and deliver projects at a better success rate. Yeah. And that, and that's the point, isn't it? It's, you're saying we've got that 50% success rate. It's moved to good. Now, how do you move it on to great, isn't it? That's right. Yep. Yeah. When you're not, last few questions I've got really now. When you're not um, busy doing one of the three things um, with your uh, with your projects, uh, whether it's the PMO squad, the the podcast, or, or with the veterans, what 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 does Joe do when he's not doing that? Besides running around after four kids and two dogs. <laughs> Well, that's it, right? It's it's the kids and the family, and um, the kids participate in athletics now, and okay. getting them to their games and practices, and and being a good dad, and trying to be a good husband as well, uh, to keep us all happy, and go explore the mountains here in Phoenix, and do hiking and seeing right. sights. To me, that's uh, there's not much time left in the day after those three business ventures, but all of that's spent with the family. So the last few questions I have here are just um, just the way I like to wrap it up, really, is what was the last project podcast you listened to besides your own? <laughs> uh, Andy Kaufman's People and Projects podcast. Excellent. I'm speaking to Andy in a couple of weeks, I think, which is going to be an interesting one as well. And what was the last project, project management blog that you read? Uh, uh, Elizabeth Heron's blog. Mm-hmm. I get that. Uh, I'm on her mailing list, so I read that frequently. Yeah. Elizabeth's is a very popular one from the people I've talked to. What, and and if you, um, I know you do a lot of mentoring for the new PMs with the, with the veterans, um, but if you've got a PM that's out there um, 20 years in, 10, 15, 20 years into their project's career, what would be the one top tip that you would say to them now that they should think about or consider? Well, I think the experienced uh, project manager, my tip to them is give back uh, to our profession because our generation has a timestamp. And if we don't help those who are coming up the ranks, um, then we haven't done our job. Right. So for me, it's that. And, and for the newer project managers out there, my tip would be don't sweat the small stuff. Mm. Uh, projects are about providing value and you don't find value within just a single risk or issue. Right? It's the collection and it's the prize at the end of the project, not necessarily the individual details within the project. So make sure that you're wearing glasses that are allow you to see the field of play completely and not just blinders that let you see just one item yeah that's pretty good so the final question is you have an opportunity to talk to that young joe um who's just discovered what projects exist um and you you've got that first first job as your first project um doing that automation system, what, what one thing would you tell yourself? I would probably tell myself that be prepared for the unexpected because you have no idea what's coming. I never thought I would be co-founder of a company, co-founder of a nonprofit organization, host of a radio show slash podcast, uh, father of four, uh, move to multiple cities across the states. Um, be prepared for the unknown. And if you are, you can achieve the unknown. 
it's the limits that we place upon ourselves that keep us within those limits. Um, so live a life without limits. Brilliant. So Joe, I finished all my questions. I'm going to let you go. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, if they, uh, um, I'll, I'll include some stuff in the, in the show notes, but what's the best way to get hold of you? Um, if they want to find out more about you. LinkedIn is, is great. I'm out there, Joe Puzz, P-U-S-Z, uh, on LinkedIn. Or if you want to connect uh, on my website, thepmosquad.com. And if you want to send me an email, you can send it to joe.puzz at thepmosquad.com. Brilliant. So, again, great thanks for coming on the show, Joe. Um, it's been a really entertaining and interesting conversation. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Yeah, thank you so much, Nigel. I appreciate it. Cheers. Many thanks to Joe for an entertaining and really interesting interview. I was particularly fascinated by the work they're doing uh, with the veterans community. If you know anyone who has an interesting take on project management or an interesting background history or looking at um, initiatives like the one Joe's talked about, please get in touch uh, at sundaylunchpmpod at nigelcreaser.com. If you've got questions and comments, uh, ping me the same email address. In fact, you can use youidiot at nigelcreaser.com if you want. Or catch hold of me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those usual social media. I'm at sundaylunchpm. And if you would like to support the show, there's loads of ways you can do it. I say it every week. Um, the easiest is share with your friends. Just tell people about the show if you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, tell them anyway. Just don't tell them you didn't enjoy it. Next, give me a a quick five-star review on any of your listening platforms. Grab a copy of any of the books that I've mentioned and uh, give me a review of any of the books. It'd be brilliant. Or just get hold of some of the free ones that they're there. I've also got a Patreon page. at www.patreon.com slash sundaylunchpm. But as I always say, it's more important for you to come back and listen next time. So I look forward to you joining me again. And remember... Project management is funny. And don't forget the hashtag. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye. <laughs>